Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. This is the Future Tech Podcast. I am Alan Thomas, and today I am joined by Mark Jeffrey co-founder and CEO of Guardian Circle. How you doing, Mark? Hey, Alan, how you doing? Good to, good to talk. Oh, it's great, great, I'm doing great. And, and let's just get into it. What is Guardian Circle about? What do you guys do? Well, Guardian Circle, uh, and uh, we have a token called Guardian. Uh, together, they comprise something we call global decentralized emergency response. So you think of this as sort of like universal nine one. Uh, the problem we're trying to solve is uh, six billion people on Earth have no 911. There just there isn't a magic number they can call when something bad happens. Uh, you and I in the United States, we do have 911, uh, but it's, it's not very good. When you call from a mobile device, they have no idea where you're located. Uh, uh, Uber can find you more easily than 911, which is just crazy. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons for this. The big one is, um, you know, it was developed in the 60s and for a lot of different reasons, it really hasn't been significantly upgraded since then. So we sort of looked at all this and we said, you know what, we should just start over, start from scratch. If we were going to build a 911-like system today, what would you build? And so we thought about it. We said, you know, the way the world should work is no matter where you are on the planet, whenever you're in trouble, all you should have to do is press a button. And that button sends your alert up to the cloud. The cloud looks down and sees what people and resources are already near you. And it then activates, coordinates, and pushes all that help to you as quickly as possible. So think like, you know, so our, our goal, our vision is 
10 people in three minutes anywhere on earth. Um, not, you know, two people in a half an hour or an hour or never. And, you know, for the 6 billion people on earth who have never had any emergency service, this is just, you know, this is awesome. This is sorcery. Um, for those of us who have had 911, you know, it's as big an improvement as Uber was over taxi. So we think we can actually make a, a pretty giant in the, um, you know, how people respond to it. And, and for these, these countries, of course, that, that aren't the U.S., what, how do you, how do you even take the steps to get into these other countries in order to establish this? I mean, you have to contact the governments first or go through a lot of red oh, tape? Or... Yeah, let me uh, let me describe a little bit about how it works, because it may not be totally clear. So, you know, in the old world, um, you know, the one we're living in, the 911 world, basically you pick up the phone and you call somebody, uh, you know, across town. who All they do is call somebody else, depending on what your situation is, and send somebody really far away in an ambulance or a cop car to your location. Why Why is it only one person that receives your, receives your alert? So the first thing we do, the first sort of wave of protection is, are your friends, family, and neighbors. You can add them to your alert group. And this is all free. We don't charge you. Um, you can have six, 60, 600, 6,000, you know, whatever your family and friends situation is, have as many as you like forever for free anywhere on earth. So we think that this will, you know, there's a great viral component to all of this. On top of that, we add a, uh, a number of, of citizen responders. Now, these are people, these are not just anybody. Uh, these are people that we've vetted. These are people who have skills that are useful in an emergency. So uh, in some cases, they will be EMTs, they will be paramedics, uh, or they'll be licensed and bonded security, uh, sometimes armed, sometimes not. Um, and in some cases, they might just be the emergency transport, um, which might be the ambulance, but it also might be just the guy with the truck. And, you know, if you're in a remote village, it could just be the guy with the truck who can run you down the mountain when you're in a time of emergency. We've seen these sort of ad hoc citizen response networks pop up before, like in Houston during the hurricanes. You had the Cajun Navy, uh, just people with boats who were organizing to get stranded people out of their houses. Um, more recently, um, you know, you had the White Hats in, um, I guess it was uh, Syria, um, who they were just basically medical professionals who were volunteers who were after the bombs hit were running into buildings, getting people and giving them medical attention because there was nobody else doing it. Um, there's a lot of areas of the world where um, that sort of thing is probably more common than it should be. In India, um, we work with the XPRIZE Foundation, and uh, we're a partner on the Women's Safety XPRIZE. And the problem that that is solving um, is the problem of when women are assaulted sexually in India, and they call the cops, typically the cops come and assault them also. Um, so, you know, so how, how do you solve a problem like that? The answer is not more cops, clearly. So, um, so a citizen response is the only reasonable response. And what all of these people have lacked is an, is a open source or, open, you know, a new kind of 911 grid where anyone can connect any alert device and anyone can be a responder at any level. So, that's really what we're bringing. That's what we're inventing. And, and that, that's an amazing mission, too. And especially when you mentioned uh, uh, back during Harvey, uh, as you know, I, I Cajun Navy being around. So I can definitely understand the need. Uh, yes. And, and, and um, in terms of, 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 OK, you see the need and then you have the idea to, to begin this. How do you, where do you even start? What, what is it in your background that, 
that let you know you were you'd be able to bring this together to start this? Um, well, I am a technology guy. I started life as a software engineer. Um, I've, I've done several companies before this. Um, my first one was a thing called the Palace, which was in the nineties. We had ten million. It was an avatar chat thing, sort of like second um, World of Warcraft, but you know, without <laughs> without the combat. More of a, it was more of a social environment. So um, it had ten million users at its peak, which you know, for nineteen ninety eight was huge. Um, it was backed by Time Warner, Intel, and SoftBank. We sold that once. It was a nice action. Um, and then after that, um, uh, I did another one, which was not a win. It's, that's my bad. But uh, <laughs> suffice to say, that was during the, uh, the, the dot-com crash. It was not fun. Uh, and then uh, I went to go uh, – a friend of mine had a, had a company up and running, and so I went to go work for him. Uh, it was, it, and, you know, basically, he wasn't paying me for what I could eat. Um, and that was called Red Swoosh. And the guy who was in charge of that was Travis Kalanick, who later would become the CEO and founder of Uber. So, uh, so it was just him and me and a few other guys in a room for a bunch. So, um, so that, that was pretty cool. And then the next thing I did, um, I did a business social network in 2002 called Zero Degrees, right around the same time as LinkedIn. Uh, we had 1 million users. Well, they had 2 million. So we were, they were still ahead of us, you know, within shooting. Uh, we ended up selling it early. We sold it to uh, Barry Diller and Interactive Corp uh, in 2004. Um, so that was a nice win. That kind of you know, brought me back to life and put me back on the map. Uh, and then uh, after that, I uh, went and again worked for another friend of mine uh, at a company called Mahalo, and that company was backed by uh, Sequoia, who was one of the world's top venture capitalists, and Elon Musk. And Elon was on our board, so I, uh, you know, I saw him once a quarter usually for about for about four years or so. And then I left to sort of uh, do my own stuff and did several things, um, and then uh, basically heard Guardian Circles. That would, that would be about two and a half. And I know you mentioned the currency Guardian. Uh, can we talk a little bit about about that? Sure. So as we were as we were sort of uh, working on this, we started we started off with just the friends, family, and, and neighbors, and it occurred to us that to really to really make this work, um, we needed to achieve sufficient density of responders. Um, for kind of any, you know, emergency situation. And it could be analogous to there being enough Uber drivers on the streets so that anytime somebody pushes the button, basically there's an Uber driver within two minutes of them for the most part uh, at all times. So we needed to achieve that kind of, that, that sort of density as well, but for emergency response. And we, and we wanted to achieve it um, where it was most needed, which is in areas of the world where people are unbanked, um, and, uh, and of course, they have no 911. But also, oddly, everyone around the world, for the most part, now has phones. Um, you go to the you know deepest jungle, the poorest part of the deepest jungle. Somehow they got phones, and uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure how that happens. But they're already <laughs> trading phone. They're, they're already trading phone minutes. You know, there's whole economies that have sprung up around phone minutes. You've heard of them, Pesos. Um, and we, you know, as we were sort of studying cryptocurrencies in parallel, almost for just for fun. Um, while we were building Guardian Circle. And we, one of the things we kept hearing a lot was that um, crypto was going to have the most impact in the developing world where, uh, you know, where the unbanked were. And uh, it occurred to us that uh, basically if we were to pay people in our token um, in these areas of the world and they had some value uh, and possibly they could even appreciate, um, that could lift some people out, out of poverty, just that alone right there. You know, if you were one of the first drivers of Uber in San Francisco and they had paid you an Uber coin back in like 2010 um, and you, you know, obviously you'd have to cash out some of that to eat and pay your rent. And so imagine if you'd like, you know, taken 10% of it and saved, saved 10% of your Uber coin and never spent it. Oh my God, those Uber coins would be worth millions of dollars now, right? Because as the ecosystem expands, 
the value of the tokens in that ecosystem expands, you know, assuming that you don't, uh, you don't flood it with more tokens or supply of tokens like Bitcoin. Does. So we wanted to create an opportunity for these early, for you know, the early responders in our ecosystem to possibly realize just, you know, wild life-changing rewards, especially in areas of the world where they're in poverty. So that was, that was one sort of thought. The second thought was um, we watched, you know, we want, we think that giving could be a big behavior in our universe. And we watched and saw, um, you know, things like the Red Cross in Haiti, where people have been very disillusioned with giving. They sort of feel like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to give my dollars again. A lot of these nonprofits. Are, so we thought, well, you know, with a blockchain, especially with our token, we can basically set our token up such that when someone gives, they know that their premium goes directly to a beneficiary in the developing world. You know, it goes right from you right to them. It does not go through a bank, a government, or an organization. So you know it was not spent inefficiently or inappropriately. And furthermore, sponsors are thus able to track uh, every donated dollar as easily as a FedEx package. You know, we, you know, you've probably heard of blockchain explorers. Imagine a blockchain explorer, but it's in English, right? So you you can see how everything was spent exactly. So we think that the you know this radical transparency, if you will could open a floodgate of giving and, um, and, you know, it's obviously good for our ecosystem as well. So there was, there was that. Um, the other sort of two pretty interesting things that we do with the blockchain is uh, we have one thing, you know, well, first of all, we take the alert transcripts and after the alert is over, um, we have, so the way the alerts work is when your alert comes up, there's basically a map that's created that has your location, of course, but all of your responders, as they respond, they pop up on the map wherever they happen. And there's a chat room at the bottom. And as people move around, their, their locations are updated on the map. So because of that, our alert transcript has all of the location information of all of the responders, what time they responded or did not respond, you know, both things, uh, where they moved to during the events, did they, you know, get in the car and get on their way over to you or not going to go to the store and either thing is, is recorded. Um, so, and we have all their conversations, who said what at what time. Now, what's cool about this is because it's on a blockchain, it is immutable. That means that, you know, in areas of the world where there's corrupt law enforcement, they can't alter the evidence. Nobody can. It's a blockchain. It's perfectly truthful and a and provably accurate record of events. Um, so that's one thing that we do. Uh, another thing that we do is we have a thing called the emergency information lockbox. Basically, this is where users or consumers can bank information that they want to be released only during an emergency. So examples of this, your secret health issue, that's embarrassing or you just don't want anyone to know about it. Uh, where you hid the key in your front yard that opens your door, uh, combination to a safe, uh, whatever it is you want to put in here. Um, now this is now because this is stored on a blockchain. This is well, first of all, this is very sensitive information. This is stuff nobody can know about, and this is a database that just can't be hacked. Um, uh, in terms of, so remember when Experian got hacked? How terrible, embarrassing that was. This would be embarrassing and terrible times a million if this thing got hacked. So storing it on a blockchain is really the only reasonable way to assure that it cannot be hacked in an Experian-like fashion. So uh, because every record on the blockchain has a completely different encryption key. So if anyone were to crack one part of a blockchain, um, they might be able to get uh, one record, but they wouldn't have access to absolutely everything. So this is a, a very great way to store things like that. Now, your lockbox is only opened when you declare an emergency. So that turns one key, if you will. Um, when you are designated 
um, guardians or recipients of the information answer your alert, that turns the second key. And it only uh, it only opens the lockbox for their eyes only. So during your emergency, your designated recipients will have access to your information, but nobody else in the alert room also, you know, nobody you don't know, nobody you haven't authorized will still not have access. And then those people can decide how best to in your emergency. Make sense so far? Yeah, and and... And, and that answered a question I just had when you uh, talked about how only designated responders will see particular information, because depending on the type of emergency it might be or what the situation is, maybe, you know, maybe I want a family member to be able to have access versus, say, a coworker or right. just a friend. Yes. So only your family, or, uh, you know, will have those other set of keys. Remember, it's a CUP system. It takes both keys to open it up. So, so there's that. Um, the other thing that we do is we... Um, if you want to become, if you want to set up shop on our system as a responder, so let's say you've got a group of 2,000 EMTs and you want to do something innovative like put them on motorcycles so that they can thread their way through traffic a lot faster and, you know, get an EMT to the medical emergency with a med bag. Um, a lot of times you don't even need the full, um, the full ambulance. Just having an EMT there 90% of the time with a med kit, um, a lot of times will be enough to, to save someone's life. So it's really more about that speed than anything. So um, so imagine they want to pr provide a new kind of medical response service. In order to do so, that organization will have to stake some Guardium in our system. And that means they will have to purchase some Guardium and lock it up. And, um, you know, the first people who do this, it'll cost a lot less than everyone else later on. You can think of these as sort of like taxi medallions. Um, and so long as they keep the staked Guardium at a certain level, their paid response services will appear in our marketplace. And by that, I mean, um, I haven't talked about that yet. So when they appear in the marketplace to the consumer, on the consumer side, um, obviously you can add your friends, family, neighbors for free. And then there's a marketplace of paid response services where you can pick and choose what subscriptions, if any, you want to subscribe to. So EMT service might be 10 bucks a month. Uh, license and bonded armed security might be 20 bucks a month. Um, you know, it's sort of like subscribing to HBO, Showtime, but not Cinemax, you know, that kind of thing. Um, even though the, the base level um, cable service is free in our world, it's free. The base level product is free and always will. So that's staking for the, um, for the response companies. We also uh, allow, we also have an API that allows any alert device manufacturer to plug their device into the Guardian Circle alert grid. So uh, we think that there's a lot of panic button devices that would be very useful. Um, so some examples, uh, you think of a ring with a button on it that you can just push the button, hold it in for three seconds, and that sends off a Guardian Circle alert. Uh, same thing with a bra uh, bracelet, a necklace, uh, or you could have a patch that automatically detects when you're in trouble based on your heart rate, um, you know, fall detection for the elderly detection. Um, there's all kinds of different uh, ways, all kinds of different devices that could potentially set up the uh, in-car voice systems, your Alexa device. Um, so if you want to create a device and sell it into our ecosystem, for that, a Guardian stake is required also. And your, your stake is tied um, to your GDM, which is Guardian, your Guardian address, uh, which is then tied to your API key. So very easy. You know, you basically put up your stake. And you get your API key, and your API key operates so long as you maintain that stake. So, so we're hoping uh, with these staking systems. Remember, they haven't actually spent any money; they've just staked Guardian. If we're successful as as an ecosystem um, company, our ecosystem will expand in value 
and that guardian that they've staked will expand in value. So if this all goes well, they should make money on the stake that they put up. They shouldn't lose money. They should actually hopefully make a lot of money, just like taxi medallions go up in, or they used to before Uber, <laughs> go up in value <laughs> over time, right? So, you know, to the point where, you know, taxi medallions in New York um, before Uber were like a million dollars, which is kind of insane, but that kind of gave you the right to participate in the ecosystem. This is really the same thing. Um, so that's sort of a, you know, like a short, quick answer for how the Guardian token and our tokenomics works. And clearly the time to stake the Guardian would be now. This is active now, correct? Uh, that is correct. Well, so actually I should clarify that. Um, the app, we, we do have released apps right now on iOS, Android, and Amazon Alexa. So you can go download those right now. Um, you can, there, there is a way for you to list your Guardian wallet address so that you can conceivably um, guard one another for a specific amount of Guardian that you agree between yourselves. Um, it's very rudimentary, but you can do it. Um, the piece that's not uh, up and running yet is the marketplace, um, where you can see all these organizations uh, in the system, and we don't have a lot of those organizations online yet. That will all be coming next year or so. Um, we have a number of partnerships that um, some of them get us distribution in the sort of 50 million to 100 million user range uh, over two to four-year period. Um, one of those is a company called UpChannel that uh, will be building our, our app in their phone in the developing world. Uh, we also are a partner with the XPRIZE Foundation, as I said, the Women's Safety XPRIZE. Um, so there should be uh, a significant amount of distribution in India uh, connected to that particular prize and the particular winning device. So, uh, you know, over the next year to two years is when you'll really see our growth spurt. Um, so that's why we're putting the, the coin out there right now. Um, and we're, we're basically having a token sale at the moment, and it ends on June 1st. If you're interested, guardian.co. Okay, it's coming very quickly then. Okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, We're about two okay. weeks away. <laughs> and uh, uh, and at this point, with with everything that, that you guys have been developing up to this point, has there been any idea or developments anybody's come up with where you've had to say, well, that might be too soon to do today or to try today, maybe in a later version or at a later stage? <laughs> yeah, I, we, I've got I've got I've got giant lists of those things. Um, and, and in fact, in fact, probably what I've got designed right now will. Uh, We'll probably have to cut back on um, one of the, I mean, one of the big lessons that everybody learned, hopefully, is that the way to build products, is, um, you know, we, we've all read Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. So pick one market and one market only. Don't try to go after everyone. Amazon didn't start off selling everything. They started off selling books. So just, you know, <laughs> pick one market, one market alone. For us, that one market is a single geography, probably a single city. Um, and I don't know where it is just yet. I have a candidate. I haven't selected one yet. And that city will be the first place we get that will inform which features are more important than others. Um, and the response, um, the responders who are available in that geography will inform what subscriptions we can offer or not. And also our strategy for um, getting consumers will be very different depending on their geography. So uh, we, we have, <laughs> we're still sort of sorting our way through that Um we're focused on the token sale right now, and once that ends, then we're gonna then our full attention will turn to the question, make a decision. Okay, so there are gonna be clear markers then to kind of tell you how to pick what cities to start with. They won't. We're not just gonna see like a sweepstakes or something or a contest like certain companies. Do. <laughs> no, 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 no. We 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 we, we, no, we won't do it that way. We'll do it in probably a very um, a lot of debate in a very considered way, hopefully. Um, but I can tell you that um, you know there's certain advantages to doing it. 
in certain places. I was just in Mumbai, India two weeks ago. When you tell people there what we're doing, their eyes light up. Like you've just shown them Excalibur. Like they're like, oh my God, we need this. When you tell someone in America about this, they go, eh, I don't know. I got 911. I'm pretty safe. Not realizing how bad it is. Like I have to like do a whole song and dance, uh, which oddly, John Oliver, the comedian, also did a whole bit called 911 Sucks about a year ago. And normally when I, when I show people that bit, they go, oh my God, it's not very good at all. Um, but until, you know, until John Oliver, they don't believe me, but they believe the comedian. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's just a little bit depressing, but there it is. Um, so, so there are some significant advantages to doing it in some place like India or Brazil or Mexico City or Puerto Rico, even where they've learned that, you know, government response is actually not that good. Um, there are, you know, on the supplies, on the consumer side, no problem. No problem convincing people to download the app. And uh, on the supply side, that's where it gets sketchier. Uh, we're going to have a harder time finding the kinds of high-quality responders that I want to have in the system in, in say, India uh, or, or you know, or Mexico City, possibly. I, I don't totally know yet. Um, whereas in Southern California, I have several very high-quality responders. We have that EMC group that I was telling you about. That's real. They, you know, the motorcycles, the whole, whole nine yards, the very fast response, <clears throat> that's a real thing. Uh, we have uh, armed, licensed, and bonded security here. Um, that is also that, that right now operates by phone. Uh, so you can basically subscribe to their services for like 25 bucks a month. Uh, when you call them, they come to your house and they're working for you. They're not the cops. They show up. They know your face. They are there to do your bidding. And whatever's going on, they will deal with the situation on your behalf. They won't suddenly halfway through it decide to you know reinterpret the situation because they saw some pot in your bedroom or you know something like that. Hmm. They'll right you know what I'm saying so like you're you are rest assured that there's not going to be any it's not going to go in some direction you didn't anticipate. So um, so yeah so that, that we, those services are great and we can have those up and running now but I'm not quite sure whether the consumers will are, are ready to be convinced yet. That will require a much more significant marketing effort uh, not only in the system but subscribe. So. So uh, we're still working on we're still working on which direction we want. And and that was my next thought was about uh, uh, wide adoption. I mean, because once you like you said in in other countries the immediate need is obvious, and then here for for whatever reason it always takes a little more convincing. Like you say, you need comedians or public more public figures to just to keep talking and talking and talking about it, which is unfortunate. But uh, but yeah. is that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm leaning towards doing it somewhere else other than the U.S. Uh, at this point, just because you know you, you want to go to where to where the people are the hungriest for whatever it is you're uh, you're peddling, and it's very clear that it, it, everywhere else other than the United States is where the hunger is and where the need is, frankly. So, um, so you know, I'm I'm, I'm probably seventy percent there and somewhere else first as our as our minimum viable community. Oh, that's completely understood, and and I just want to make sure. Is, is there is there any other elements to it that we need to make sure to to tell our listeners about, or, or that you want to talk about? Because, like I said, these these ideas would definitely revolutionize law enforcement and pretty much every other industry. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that this new, well, the global because it's a global emergency grid. The idea is also when you travel. So I was just in India. My protection grid should travel with me. I shouldn't have to think about you know. What's, you know, if I get in trouble in India, I have no idea what the, you know, who do I call? I don't know. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. So, um, you know, that same button should work no matter where you are on the earth. And it should just figure out, the cloud should just figure out for you um, who your new protectors are in that area. Uh, And it should be something that is transportable, kind of like when you travel with your cell phone, 
you know, you, you move from carry, you know, you do roam, you have roaming charges, right? You roam to a different carrier in a different area of the world. You should have safety roams would be the same. So that's, you know, that's perhaps another, another concept that uh, may be interesting, unique. And, and what's the best way for folks to get involved, uh, you know, to get involved with Guardian Circle and with Guardium and where do we need to go? So guardiancircle.com is where you can download our apps today, uh, worldwide, iOS, Android, and Alexa. Um, and Guardium, uh, so G-U-A-R.co, is where you can go to learn more uh, about the token sale and participate in that. And as I said, you know, there's two weeks left on the clock. That will end uh, on June 1st, and any unsold tokens we will burn. Uh, and we're a NEO token, I probably should mention. So we're sort of unique. We're not an Ethereum-based token like many others. Uh, we are uh, an NEP5 token universe, um, which there's, there's starting to become a lot more of those. But... Um, the wallets, uh, there's just a lot of reasons why it's sort of a better universe at the end. Uh, the transaction speeds are much faster. Like, you know, can handle 1,000 transactions versus Ethereum's 21. So it, it gets better from there, too. And the, and the wallets are a lot easier to use. So your grandma can probably use a NEO wallet. Um, like more, the, the, the wallets in that world are called things like Morpheus, um, <laughs> uh, Neon by the city of Zion. So everything that's sort of the matrix vibe goes on. So, yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> And, and that's a great point what you made about uh, old, you know, and old older folks e- being uh, easy for them to use uh, because you think about, like you said, you they would need, um, you know, they would need the grids as well in terms of, you know, uh, being able to detect falls or or when they get in trouble that kind of thing. Because uh, I was thinking about that as you were talking about it, ease of use yeah, for older folks, fall detection, wander detection, all that stuff. And we're, we're going to make it so that you know if you are older or you don't care about cryptocurrency like you might just i just want my protection services you're just going to be able to pay using your credit card and if you never want to think about crypto ever again you don't have to force that apart and we're going to sort of obfuscate those details however if you do know what you're looking at and you do kind of go oh it looks like it's kind of using a cryptocurrency i should go look into this you're going to be able to open up that guardian wallet and go in there and, and operate it um, like you would any other sort of crypto. So if you know what you're saying, you can get at it, use it like normal. If you don't care at all, then you don't have to. <laughs> all right. Well, well, I, and, and I want to thank you, Mark, for coming on and, and telling us all about this, because this is, I, I definitely feel like this is one of the more valuable interviews for everybody in terms of we're all going to be using this, so we need to know now. You know, everybody Absolutely. needs to be jumping on this now. Well, thank you for having me, Alan. I very much appreciate it. Oh, no, no problem. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, in their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. 
but artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.